from Luke chapter 10, verse 1 to 11. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town uh, we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I have worked in quite a few different industries in my time. And as I look back at them, I just can't help but notice and reflect on the fact that none of them were particularly positive places for a Christian to work in, let alone a place where a Christian could find support in. And man, if I had been a Christian when I worked back in hospitality, that would have been an incredibly tough uphill battle all the time. Some of the places I worked in, the hours were so awful that, all, that myself and everyone I worked with slowly lost contact with all their friends and family on the outside because everything was just so all-consuming. We just did not have the time to go to anything or see anybody. There's also this fact that we used to give up our weekends, working on the weekends, to enable other people to have fun. So can you imagine looking across the bar that I was working in, having people having so much fun, or once again I was there for another eight hours wishing I was out there with them. We had, it brought about this pent-up energy that is needed to be released. And too often, too many times, it was released at about 3 a.m. in the morning when we would all get together after we clocked off and go out and hit the town. The culture was just so consuming that if I had been a Christian back then, I would have found absolutely no rest whatsoever. I would always have to be on my guard about people trying to wear me down to experience life with them, to just come on and have some fun with us. Always having to explain once again and for the thousandth time why I cannot participate in the things that you are doing. If I had been a Christian back then, I would have found no rest in a place like that. No peace. And I'm sure that I'm not alone in this. This is a very shared phenomenon amongst all of us, whether it be in your workplace, amongst your friends and family. It is hard to find a place of peace and support as a Christian. So whether it's your place or your family, we have this tense of being we have this feeling of being tense as Christians, don't we? Do you feel that way sometimes, that when you're out in the world, that as a Christian there's this tension that you just feel everywhere you go? 
especially in the world these days, where we're constantly being worn down more and more to accept the world around us. Worn down to finally admit that 2 plus 2 equals 5. So is that it for us? Is this our lot in life? Is this the life that we are called to live day in and day out, a life of tension and conflict with the world around us? Well, yes, but not without places and spaces of peace where we can recharge and then minister from in the future. See, there are time of conflicts and there is time of peace. There are people of peril and there are people of peace. And in our passage today, Jesus and his followers are on the way to Jerusalem. And he sends out 72 ahead of him to prepare the way for his arrival. But before he sends them out, he gives them some instructions of what to do as they go out. And the first is to seek the people of peace. Be wary of the people of peril and be encouraged that you are being sent out on a harvest that is under God. So we all know that as Christians, we need to be witnesses to the world around us. Think about that. That is a huge goal that we have to reach. Witness to the world around us, the whole world, that's huge. And the problem is, when it comes to big goals, is we just have no idea where to start. So we don't. It's hard to start something when you don't know what the first step is. It's a lot like building flat pack furniture where you know at some point this thing is going to turn into a bookcase. And you can kind of intrinsically know that maybe this thing is a shelf and that part is a side. But if you don't have instructions with you, as you see all the pieces laid out on the floor, you have no idea where to start. The goal and the task is far too broad. The call for us to witness and be advocates to the world about who Jesus is and what he has done can seem like that to us. We know we need to do it, but we just don't know where to start sometimes. Well, fortunately for us and the 72, Jesus gives them a starting point. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone promotes peace it's there, you place your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. The first step is to find what's called a person of peace. Someone who is open-minded and supportive to the message that you are sharing. Someone who promotes peace in the way that they live life. Now, it's worth mentioning that in English language, I don't think that our word peace really covers the layer and the complexities of what the word peace means in the original. For us, peace is more you know, culturally the absence of something. Because we may not be at war at this certain time, we are in a time of peace. But the, the original Hebrew word, shalom, has a much more, is much more about your well-being, having a sense of joy, security, which ultimately rests on your relationship with God. In Hebrew, someone greets another person by saying, mashalomka, how are you? Whereas if, as Australians, we would say, yeah, not bad. And they would say, basera. But what they're asking is, actually, how is your peace? How are you? How is your peace? Which is ultimately, how is your relationship with God? 
So Jesus instructs his followers to seek a person who promotes peace, a sense of joy with whom you feel comfortable, someone who is open-minded to God. Um, one of the many careers I had in the past, I worked in one of those big chain bottle shops, which is probably not the most obvious place for a Christian to be working in. And I'd only just became a Christian while I was working there. So because I wasn't the greatest of explaining what was going on, I wasn't all that confident, I kind of kept my new faith under the radar as much as possible. But there was one guy who was there who was just really nice. And he would ask me, so, you know, what, what other things do you do outside of this place? And I would duck and weave, hoping that he wouldn't ask a very specific question where I'd have to admit something. But one time, he did. And I had to admit that, well, actually, I go to church. He said, oh, you're a Christian. And I said, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I am. And I was very sheepish about it. I didn't have that kind of confidence. And a big part of the reason why I wasn't all that confident is because I knew very well if I had been him in his position talking to someone like me at the time, I knew very well what me as an atheist would have said to that person. The aggressive atheist that I was just months before this conversation. But he was... He would ask these questions and he said, so you're a Christian. And it turns out that actually he had been to youth group in the past and he kind of enjoyed it. And his long-term girlfriend was also a Christian and he was wrestling with how that shapes their relationship. And we would talk about this on and on and it was an amazing time. I found rest with him, particularly between the other people at work who were constantly trying to get me to go back to the life I had left. With him, I found a place of rest. He wasn't overbearing. The other people we worked with really liked him. This guy was a person of peace. And even though, sadly, as far as I know, he still has not yet become a Christian, it was the rest and peace I found with him that enabled me to witness well to the other people I worked with which is really a part of the wisdom that Jesus is giving his followers. These people offer influence and a place of rest. In verse 7, Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, I think there's a little bit of an extra dimension going on here as well. Yes, he's talking about the person of peace found out in the world, but I can't help but see the beginning structures of what the early church is to be like. We who are advocates for Jesus, we can't help but need to find places of rest. We need to be supported in what we do. We need to sustain each other. And we need to provide a place of peace for each of us that we can then go out into the world from. I often say the church is kind of a place where you just get reminded that you're not crazy. Because too often during our weeks, we feel that we are alone in what we believe. We feel like we're the only one who believes the truth. And we need to support each other in that. When Lisa and I were back in college, we lived in college housing. And I tell you what, I will always be thankful to God for the time we spent there. It was a unique taste of exactly what Jesus is talking about here, where Christians were supporting each other. 
We had a Facebook page where people would constantly ask, oh, does anyone have sugar or a tomato? I'm cooking this and that. And people would offer up the stuff from their house to help them. There was also people would have things they didn't want anymore and offer those up for other families to use. There was even one family who their church was so committed to supporting them as their student ministers that they were each week giving them groceries to take home and sustain them through the week. But the good problem was they gave them too much, far too much, that they would actually offer some of these grocery items to the rest of us. And every Tuesday, the wife and their daughter would go around and do the rounds around Batagra and deliver the items that people had selected on the Facebook page. When babies were born or people were sick, there'd be a meal roster sent out and people would sign up for it. It was an amazing place of support and peace that we would experience before we went back out into the world. Jesus also mentions that workers deserve his, his wages. This is helpful because it shows us that doing God's work, advocating for his truth, takes time and money. It's actually a good work. And we need to give to the work of the kingdom. We need to give financially to his church. Otherwise, we will lose this home base that we all share and love, our place of rest. And the opportunities that we have and the staff that we have, of which I include myself, which I'm included, relies so much on your giving to sustain the ministry here and to give us future opportunities in which to do more. And it is actually truly up to each and every one of us to help maintain that and to enable and to facilitate opportunities that may come in the future. Now, there isn't just people out in the world who are people of peace. People of peace is something that some people here amongst us today are. If you're one of those people who are just great at inviting people to church, that love sharing your faith and faith and have this great connection out into the community, you have some gift that draws people into you. Levi in the Gospels is a great example of this. He becomes a follower of Jesus, and then what's the first thing he does? He gets all these tax collectors of friends, holds a dinner, and invites Jesus so they can all hear the amazing truth of what he has just discovered. If you feel like you're a person of peace in the circles that you are in, that God has placed you, and you just love sharing that hope that you have in Jesus, then can I encourage you to keep going with that? Continue at it. Maintain those relationships and allow us to help you and support you in that. And may we be ready for those who you bring in to join us when they come. Now, it's good to maintain relationships with your not-yet-believing friends and family, but sometimes there are relationships out there that are actually better off cut off. Because people, they aren't people of peace that we know. These particular people are people of peril. And my next point. The thing about having the ability to draw people into you, those sorts of people that build up relationships to make it more plausible for their worldview to be shared, is those same characteristics can be used against us as believers. We and have our faith dismantled as a result. These people aren't people of peace. They are people of peril. After all, Jesus does say in verse 3, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. The imagery here is pretty clear. 
We as followers are like gentle, innocent, and even vulnerable lambs out in the world. We are safe here in our home base and our place of peace, but when we go out, we are going out into a den of wolves. And if you look across the Bible, the imagery of a wolf is a person that's described as someone who is fierce. They tear their prey apart to make their own unjust gain. And they leave nothing behind they, or sparing anybody. Even worse, these ferocious people are disguised as sheep themselves. The warning is that there are people who want to tear up and devour your faith and leave nothing left, and they do so for their own selfish gain. This could be as someone that is close to home, as friends or family. You know that person that constantly and repeatedly, far too often, leads you to participate in behaviour that isn't fitting with someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. With these people, you are not the advocate. They are the advocate to you. There's another new movement that's out there, but particularly if you're in some of the younger generations, your kids uh, may, be going, may be exposed to this a little bit now. It's called Christian destructionism. It's this new movement um, that is sort of sweeping the internet at the moment, and it's because of something that's called church hurt. These, it is particularly affecting those who are what I call born and raised Christians, those who have been raised as Christians in a Christian family who have not known another worldview except the Christian truth. The thing is, that worldview comes into clash with other worldviews, and that clash is sometimes called church hurt. So the idea is what they want to do is actually tear down to deconstruct our already built faith and then rebuild it in a way that better fits the world. Their argument is that because humanity in the world is always progressing, always improving, then the traditions and the practices and the authority that we once had isn't as relevant as it is today. In fact, it is actually bad. The world has moved on now. We know better than we once did. Destructionist Christianity is, in simple terms, is just tearing apart a faith and reconstructing it to better fit the world around it. And this is purely because the Bible says some very strong things that will always and should come in conflict to the world around us. It says some strong things about the relationship between men and women, sexuality, family dynamics, discipline, sin, judgment, and the list goes on and on. And to affirm these things in our world is to, is to cause potential harm. It could potentially exclude people. And we live in a time of inclusion and diversity. So we need to deconstruct our faith, apparently, to better fit the world around us. It is fantastic to ask questions. It is only natural and normal to have doubts about your faith. But the deconstructionists are wolves because they seem like Christians on the outside and they claim to follow Jesus, only the Jesus they follow is a Jesus of their own making. Not the Jesus who is historical and revealed himself and his characteristics in his word. He gifted us a way of living life that actually reflects his good character to the world around us. This movement is gaining a lot of traction online and has actually has some big-name advocates out there. There are podcasts, there are websites, there are interviews, 
and they look like sheep, but inwardly they are ferocious. They want to devour you and leave nothing left, which is why we need to be, as Jesus said, as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. We need to seek people and places of peace that welcome us. And if someone doesn't welcome us and the message we have, go go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. These people of peril are under judgment. And you do not want to be dragged with them. As worrying as it all is, there's actually some relief to be found in this passage because we actually aren't obligated to focus on these sorts of people. We aren't obligated to focus all our heart and energy on these hostile people to the gospel. It's because we don't do the saving. Jesus is the one who does the saving. We don't choose God. God chooses us. So if you have been agonising over that someone that you love so dearly, that you think if only just maybe a little bit more and they may see the light, just maybe if I put my heart and soul and time into it, just maybe they will see the amazing beauty that I see and share the faith that I so desperately want them to share. If this person has been so closed off and for so long, perhaps it's time to wipe the dust off your feet. You tried. And it's fi- and you should find relief in Jesus' words in verse 16. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. This is to be a relief for you. And a warning for them. The harvest that we are a part of is far too big to be focused on just one tough nut, which is my next point. I want to make clear, I want to make very clear to everyone here that I am not a pessimist. Okay? I am just healthily cautious about my optimism. I find it helps me manage the disappointments that are, you know, always going to happen down the line. However, I'm very aware there are some people out there who are optimists, and I'm very grateful for you. I actually admire you a little bit as well. It's great. You guys have so much energy, and you have drive. The only thing is you also manage your own disappointments in another way by redefining the outcome to sort of suit that optimistic, glass-half-full outlook that you love and share, and I wish I had it too. But whichever you lead towards, as an advocate, the world, the world and the people among us, we need to seek places of peace because we are going to wrestle constantly, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, with wins and losses. Well, at least from our point of view. Some conversations will go well. Other conversations are going to leave you thinking, well, if only I'd said that, oh, man, I should have said this, and then that would have made sense of that. Ah, oh. the thing is... We're going to ride these ups and downs our whole time and it's so easy to lose sight of the fact that God is in control, not you. Jesus began his advice by saying, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest. So, as you go, remember that you are workers in the harvest. You are advocates in God's work. And the great God that you are advocating for is in control. So it doesn't rest on your your perceived idea of what success is. It rests on his plan and it rests on his grace. But that being said, we still also need to be wise stewards of all that he has given and blessed us with, especially when it comes to big, organised things. Yes, God is in control, but we also shouldn't just keep doing things uh, where there's been no fruit in the past. We need to constantly change tack in trying to align ourselves with how God is working in DAPTO. A loose connection with people is absolutely better than no connection. But we need to look beyond a connection, beyond a connection to commitments, because fruit happens at commitment. We have a missional pathway for a reason, to move along, not to stay in one place. The work is plentiful, but the workers are few. We need to seek commitment because we need more workers, which is why we at DAC are about disciples making disciples, not disciples making connections. Our goal is deeper than a connection. It's about commitment. It's about salvation. Each week, and even during the week, we find support, provision, and rest in our places and people of peace. We are then sent out into the world among the wolves where we have to be shrewd and not to be taken out ourselves. We need to seek people of peace who are open and have influence in a positive way. And we advocate for Jesus. We demonstrate his power to the people that he has placed around us. And we do so knowing that he is the Lord of the harvest. He is in control of what we do. We serve him. And in this process, through us, to the people that we know and love and dear, we know and love dearly, the people that Jesus has placed around us, through us, the kingdom is brought nearer to them. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to be advocates for you. We thank you so much for all the places you have placed us and the people you have placed around us. Help us to be strong. Provide us with people of peace and may, we, and may we long to return to our place of peace here we have at church. May we as a church help sustain each other and support each other before we go back out, out into the world. And as we're in the world, help us to be wise and discerning and help us to rest on you who is Lord of the harvest. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.